Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. G'day everyone and welcome back to another episode of Not The Farmer's Wife. Um, I'm starting to sound a little less croaky (laughs) one week in, so we'll see how we go. Um, Hi everyone, if you don't know who I am, CJ, I'm your host. And uh, for the month of January, we're going to be discussing all things planning for farming and homesteading and all the kinds of things you need to start preparing for in advance and, you know, noting down dates and getting things sorted before you have to worry about them. Um, What is it? Prior planning prevents piss poor performance, something like that. I remember teaching, I remember being taught that at college. Anyway, um, we are having an awesome time on the farm at Mojo Homestead at the moment. Um, Kids have obviously got school holidays here in Australia uh, from my US friends. Our kids are home through uh, mid-December through to the end of January and it's the summer months for us. So that means that we try and get to the pool a fair bit. We used to we used to swim in the dam a little bit but then my daughter got out of the dam one day and discovered she had leeches all over her and she really doesn't want to <laughs> swim in the dam anymore. I kind of knew the leeches were there but I figured they weren't doing that much harm. So anyway, um, we um, we sometimes, you know, go and sit down near the dam anyway because it is nice. It feels like we've kind of got a bit of a waterfront, you know. Uh, but for the most part for swimming, we'd head into the pool in town, um, which is nice and clean and clear. And and also it means the kids get to see their friends occasionally and stuff like that too. So it makes for a good holidays. Um, and we're, um, we've actually just come back from a trip to a massive big water park that we have down on the south coast of New South Wales. Uh, with some friends which was awesome and lovely and we don't get out very often so it's always nice to have a a bit of a day away from the farm and and just really you know enjoy it anyway uh gearing up for a good year for mojo homestead uh in regards to training courses so we've got our backyard chicken keeping course coming up in february and i've got a few other things in the pipeline which you'll start seeing a bit more of it over the next couple of weeks in january um about other things other little short courses that i might be offering so keep your eye out for that particularly if you're interested in um uh, raising chickens for meat production uh, there'll be some stuff regarding that mm. i'm still slurping away on tea because my voice is still not 100 percent from my illness over christmas anyway We'll see how we go. I'm going to try really hard not to cough. I'll pause it. So if you hear a little pause every now and again, it might be me coughing. Otherwise, we'll see how we go. So this week, we're talking strategic livestock and crop planning. And we talked last week about an overall view of your calendar and and the kinds of things that you need to plan for. Whereas um, this time around, we are going to look more at the specifics. Uh, and as you know, a Mojo Homestead, we are more livestock than we are crop production. Um, I'm 
carnivore anyway in my diet so for me it makes sense that I grow the things I eat uh, we do grow crops because my kids still eat fruit and veg um, we don't we're not big on grain and I'm I'm not a big believer in growing grain for animals I'll grow grasses for animals I think animals are um, biologically the best they have the best system converting for converting sorry losing my words they have the best system for converting grass to meat um, they're far better at it than humans have ever been they're genetically wired to do it that way um, they break down cellulose much better than we ever could and so uh, growing grass for animals livestock ruminant animals to consume it makes the most sense and and the funny bit is i saw something the other week somebody was asking about grass-fed chickens and somebody's like chickens aren't grass-fed they eat grains chickens eat grass as well chickens are omnivores they eat everything um, chickens eat grains grass uh, fruit vegetables meat that our chickens will rip apart a field mouse in a matter of seconds they are very very much omnivores um, and they're really good at converting they are genetically the best animal to convert all of those things into a huge protein source which is an egg um, it's a great protein and essential fat source for humans so to me it makes sense to grow the animals who are best and most um, genetically uh, have perfected the art of turning cellulose and other matter into the nutrients that I require as a human and that's why I grow livestock uh, and not so much grain besides the fact that I think grain cropping ro certainly row cropping like on a commercial scale is probably about the single worst thing you can do for the environment so if you're enjoying an almond milk latte or a oat milk latte uh, you're contributing to the environmental issues uh, because row cropping is just about hands down the worst thing you could ever do to the soil um, you need to find another way if you don't like cow's milk find another way otherwise drink your cow's milk it's better for you anyway anyway um enough of my rant about milk i hate it i hate it when people call it oat milk i call it nut juice or oat juice <laughs> because to me you get milk from a mammal not from a grain anyway so let's get on with it before I get on my, on my rant again about milk uh, strategic livestock and crop planning so I'm going to break it up into my animals my bees and in animals I'll include chickens in that as well as my ruminants um, my bees and then I'll talk about crop planning as well because like I say you know we still grow vegetables and fruit here um, and I think you know I'm 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 a rarity in that I am primarily carnivore. Um, Ninety percent of the population are plant eaters. I think I don't know. I'd have to look and see what Anthony Chaffee's um, stats are. I'm sure he's got stats on how many people have gone carnivore now. But um, I would say that I am in the minority in being a carnivore. So um, like 100% carnivore, not eating any vegetables. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what the stats are on that. But We'll break it up into those ones so i wanted to start with breeding and mating cycles and i think that's probably one of the key things to key into any calendar when you start out and the reason for that is it's so so important i cannot stress how important it is if you are breeding ruminant animals um, of any kind so um, goats sheep cows but also if you've got horses, if you've got rabbits that you're breeding, uh, right through to chickens. So if you're hatching out chickens and things like that, 
The actual hatch and birthing cycle for animals is it's vital for you as a livestock guardian to be hands-on for that. That's not to say that you need to be hands-on. Hazel, my oldest milking goat, I swear to God, one good cough and the baby is out. She requires so little attention and so little management during the birthing process and kidding process. Um, I love the fact that she is now, um, she's so adapted at doing it. Her body knows exactly what it's doing. Um, you know, like most animals in nature, it, it's really switched on. It knows when it's going into labour. It knows when it needs to take itself off to the corner of the shed. It knows when it needs to sit down and, and get away from everybody. And it knows when it's time to push and when it's not time to push. And we, she's had breech births. The, the last um, kidding that she had, the second one was breech. She spat him out, no problems. Not a problem at all. And, you know, that's not to say that she's not ever going to have a problem. It's just that she is very adapted to having babies and having multiple babies. So while you don't have to, and, and you shouldn't have to, a well-bred animal should be very, very capable of kidding, calving, foaling, um, whelping they should be coping really well with that birthing process nature designed it for the reason that it is you shouldn't have to go hands-on i see a lot of people on goat pages and they talk about oh you know i need to have my gloves and i need to have this and when do i go in and i think oh my god don't go in if you don't have to like you're introducing bacteria to the uterus you're you you know you're tampering with something that nature has already got sorted you really only want to have to go in if you have checked everything off and something's not progressing, something's not happening the way it should be. And that that's an experience thing. So for some people, it's they get very nervous because they think, oh my, oh my God, when will I know? What, what will be the signs that it's not working? Um, you may not know. You might be standing there going, shit, I've got no idea. I've fucking, I'm useless here. I've, I don't know what to do. And I've had that happen. I've lost a, a kid that I probably should have gone in and I held back uh, because, you know, I was trying to let nature do its course and the kid was born stillborn. So I probably could have pushed the pregnancy, the, the labour rather, the kidding along and tried to get the kid out earlier. Um, it, it's not, I, I like to look at it as a learning curve. Mistakes do happen and they're mistakes that, believe me, I carry with me and never want them to happen ever again but uh nature is pretty clever too and i think we as humans we try and fix everything and jump in when we probably shouldn't that spiel being said about not jumping in too soon i still want to be there when the kids are born for a couple of reasons one is you never know you never know if something is going to go wrong and don't be like me and have regrets where you thought I should have probably gone in. Uh, so it, if you're there when the baby is being born, kidding, dog whelping, horse foaling, cow calving, whatever it is, so I'll just say baby being born to cover off on all of those. If you're there when that process is happening, it just gives you a little bit of a heads up. You, you stand a chance of being able to manage it if something does go wrong. And that's, that's what we are. We're livestock managers. You want to be able to manage the problem before it becomes a problem so having your scheduled dates make that so much easier because you know that you can avoid having other things on at that time so for me 
this is my list of things. Nubians, my milking goats, are joined with the buck in April. They have a five-month gestation, which means they kid in September. Now, you can't force their breeding cycle, as in you've got to wait for them to come into season to get them to the buck. But I know that they come in every three weeks, so probably towards the... Um, the end of March, beginning of April, is when I start looking to see who's cycling to go to the buck. So my Nubians, and I'll, I, this year I will have five going to the buck. I'm very excited. It'll be the most amount of kids that I have produced from a milking season. Uh, so I've got five Nubians going, and they'll kid in September from that joining. My Angoras, I did it ask about last year, so I'm changing it up this year. I worked out that because of the shearing cycle with my angoras, I'm joining my angoras this year in May, not in March like I did last year. Uh, so what I want to do is, because of the way that their shearing falls, which I think I've got scheduled for March and August, so I want them to be shorn six weeks roughly before they're due to kid. And the reason for that is I think one of the girls lost a kid because we sheared... We had the shearer come out two weeks before they were due and it was too close to when they were due. And I actually think it buggered things up a bit. So I think she miscarried. That was lovely Evelyn who still has not been a mummy. So I'm hoping this year that she will um, be um, three months pregnant when she's shorn and that won't throw her around as much and she'll she'll cope much better with it. So Angora's joined in May and kidding in October. My new batch of chickens, because every year or every 18 months or so, I get a new batch of chickens for laying production. So the new batch of chickens for laying production, which take about 20 weeks to get to full adult status and laying eggs, I'll probably try and get them into the hatchery sometime during March. March, because we're off grid here, March is still warm enough and sunny enough to have the hatchery heat lamp going without drawing on our power. But it also means that they're off heat um they're, they're fully feathered and off heat before it gets way too cold and then they have a whole big chunk of time i keep them in the hatchery a lot longer than they probably need to be but i keep them in the hatchery and they'll be definitely heading out into the pasture around july which is still cold but it's not freezing here in july it's a bit windy uh, but june is our really frosty month so by end of july they'll be fine uh, the cows, I have just spoken to the owner of the bull next door. I'm so excited. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, the girls will be joined, which means that Millie and Molly, um, Millie, who's my milking cow, and Molly, who's a cross Angus, um, will be hopefully due in mid-October, which I think is a perfect time. I have nothing else on. I'll be here milking anyway. So it makes it easy for me because it'll be their first calving. I want to be there to make sure that we have no problems and, and just watch the process and make sure that there's no dramas. And if we have to pull a calf, we have to pull a calf, you know. And, and you know, what I said before about not you not having to go hands-on intervene, it, it's really important that you understand that, you know, you still, there are times when you will have to do it. Um, I had my first fully, fully assisted kidding um, just before Christmas, um, one of our Angoras who was very late getting to the buck and I didn't realise that she was actually pregnant. I thought she'd miscarried and she hadn't. Um, she was due right before December and it was her first one. So I kept her in because I wanted to make sure she was okay and she went over. She went overdue. She didn't go into labour the way that she should have. 
and I had to fully assist and when I say fully assist I had to glove up and go in and it was horrific as in that's probably the 50th kid that I've delivered and the first time that I have had to physically pull a kid out of a goat thank god I was there because we managed to save both the gorgeous little buckling and his mother Marie Antoinette is doing great guns and she survived just beautifully but I, I was it was touch and go for a little while though it was probably the scariest one I've had um where I physically had to hang on to his foot he came out superman style so he was not in the correct position and that's why she wasn't progressing with her labor so she had his head in her pelvis and one leg pointing out and the other leg was pushed back and that made his shoulders really wide and she only had a very small pelvis so it made it very difficult for her to try and get him out anyway so uh, that's my breeding and mating schedule so April May Rocky's doing his thing um, and the cows are going to the bull oh, the bull's coming to visit us actually <laughs> we're going to go and let him up through the top paddock um, and he's going to come and visit the two girls which will be awesome I can't wait um, so uh, that's the breeding schedule so then the next thing we need to consider is the pre-mating stuff so for pre-mating the kinds of things that you're looking at is the animal's health um, are they in good nick you know our two cows are doing beautifully at the moment I'm going to worm them um, before they go to the bull uh, but they're they've got all their vaccinations up to date their parasite controls great because they're on a paddock rotation system so they're really super healthy girls at the moment they've got nothing wrong with them um, they're in that perfect health situation to get in calf which is what you want you want an animal getting in calf that's in that really optimum health phase um, now as far as the goats go so I've talked about the shearing aspect so we have to manage our shearing around the angler uh, the angoras getting into kid and when they're due but also too I've got my Nubians that I'm milking and everybody's different everybody has a different take on on whether to stop milking and when to stop milking and when not to but for me I find that the milk tends to get a bit goaty <laughs> when they've been to the buck I don't know why it just does it gets a bit goaty so I actually try and dry my girls up around the time that they're going back to get into kid now a lot of a lot of goat farmers will keep their goats in milk up until about two months before they're due to kid I have always let my girls have the winter months off there's a couple of reasons for that one I feel like it gives them a really good start into their pregnancy of having just you know, not having to put anything into their milk or into their udder and putting everything into the kid that's growing. And when they can really, you know, chuck all that health on board, I think it just keeps them a little bit healthier. But the other thing is not, it's a selfish reason, and that is it sucks balls to be getting up milking goats through winter. I don't know who, I you know, I take my hat off to the old homesteaders who had no choice but to continue to milk through those horrible weather events. But here in Australia, we don't barn raise our animals. They're out in the paddock. And getting up at 4.30 in the morning to go milk a goat in the freezing rain and sleet and sometimes snow. We don't get a lot of snow here, but we do occasionally get snow. Um, and frosty grounds and your hands are freezing and you're sticking them in boiling hot water because you've got to wash the udder and it's yeah it's no fun and I've got to be honest Cass gets her little laziness on at that point and I am more than happy to dry them up for their entire pregnancy 
uh, and get myself five months worth of sleep in which is awesome so the girls will be drying up around april and there's a twofold kind of side to that too if if we're taking a holiday if me and the kids are taking a holiday from the farm generally we do it in april because my daughter has very heavy sporting commitments through june uh, when our next lot of holidays would be she um, plays a lot of rugby union and rugby league as well now and they're both heavy through the winter months so we found that going for holidays in april is a time when it doesn't impact on her sports and it doesn't impact on the farm as much and the weather is still yeah we're going up north for our holidays this year so uh the weather is still reasonably good and everybody's happy we feel like we're on a bit of a win-win so there, there's that reason why i drive the goats up as well because it's a bit selfish because i'm on a holiday uh, <laughs> and and you know everybody has their own reasons the main thing is is that you schedule it in so you know i know that come mid-march it doesn't take much usually to dry the girls up um, i'm getting really good at it now so um, what i generally do is i just stop milking them out stop stripping them uh, when i milk if i get a liter of hazel each morning um, starting probably about early march i will start just not taking the whole lot so i will leave a little bit in the udder and i will just do that every day just leave a little bit less now uh, for anybody who's ever breastfed a baby you know that it's supply and demand if you're not stripping the milk out every single day then eventually the milk stops supplying as much because it will only supply what's required so it's just that tiny little you know it's it's very incremental but it's just removing a little bit of the milk but i have that scheduled into the calendar too so in march i have a little thing that i stick up on the shed wall in the in the milking bar that says remember we're drying up so that i remember not to strip them out of milk every time um what else uh behavioral observations i've got here for mating uh anybody that's got goats or cows um if you haven't already seen them when they're in season if you're thinking about getting goats and you think oh, i'll get a female goat but i don't need to get her into kid uh be warned when they're in season they will scream the house down they will scream the paddock down they will scream the farm down to get to a buck so their genetic pull to have a baby is so so strong <laughs> don't think you'll be able to fight it you won't they you i mean you'll be able to fight it if you don't take them to a buck they won't get pregnant but you will put up every three weeks with probably three or four days of screaming to the point that your neighbors are complaining um, so just be prepared for that if you're not going to get them in kid uh, and then the next topic that i had here on my little list is um, optimal health and genetic diversity we with genetic diversity it's a moot point for us because we have a buck here on farm that goes over our girls now he'll probably only get an we'll probably only get another season out of him and then we would be crossing him across his granddaughters which is not ideal but th at that point i would probably look to either try and sell or swap him with somebody else who has an anglonubian with different bloodlines um, so that we can introduce different breeding bloodlines into the group um, but at the moment we're quite happy tracking the way we are i've also looked at the idea of dabble with the idea of doing um uh, artificial insemination um, you can go into a course here in australia where you learn how to artificially inseminate the idea of that really appeals to me because we're a small farm um, and because we are a small farm genetically i want to be able to introduce really good quality stock but i can't afford to 
I can't afford to have, you know, a, a bull or a buck that is, you know, top quality breeding. Whereas with AI, I can absolutely afford to do that. So it's it's a real possibility on the cards for me this year to look at AI, particularly for the Angoras, now that I know that most of them can breed because um, we've put Rocky over them. The idea of putting uh, Anglo-Nubium um, sperm on board uh, to try and get some more, some more wool goats would be awesome. Uh, and obviously optimal health. We talked about that. It's making sure that your animals are really in that prime situation for breeding. So if, if they need um, a boost as far as feed, if they need parasite control, um, if they need vaccinations brought up to date, over those kind of winter months leading up, if you can on your calendar kind of map out where you need to be ensuring that things are done. And, you know, Certain, certain vaccinations and parasite control can be done while they're pregnant. Um, a lot of pregnant animals have a lowered immune system while they're pregnant, so they tend to be a bit more susceptible to some parasites. So it's probably a good idea to keep an eye on that type of thing anyway. But also, too, with my milking goats, I have to line up my worming because of withholding periods. So if you don't know what withholding periods are, it just means that we can't use the milk for human consumption until a withholding period has passed after we have wormed them or treated them for a particular parasite. And that's because they don't know what the effects of that medication is on human consumption via that animal's milk. So for my, for my milking girls, um, they get wormed usually about six to eight weeks before they're due to kid. And that means that I definitely know we're past that withholding period when I start milking them. Um, of course, we did have a, a flare-up, a, a worm bloom this year that for both girls, uh, and that meant that we had to discard milk for a week after we'd wormed them because of the withholding period. Uh, but that's something to schedule into your calendar so that you don't have to do that, so you don't have to withhold. It would be much easier if you don't. So that's pretty much it for the animals. It's basically mapping it all out on that calendar. And on my Canva calendar, I'll pull up my Canva calendar while I'm talking to you. On a, At the beginning of the months where there's certain things happening, I've got, you know, um, New Chicks, March, um, Shearing, March, Nubians joined April, Angora's joined May, uh, Kidding for the Nubians is September, Kidding for the, and Carving for the cows as well as the Angora's is October. Uh, shearing again in September so I have that listed on my calendar to make it really easy to glance I know what that month is about now the next one I want to briefly touch on is our bees I know a lot of people out there really interested in bees and I will try and put a lot more out over the next couple of months particularly because coming over the next couple of months we will have our honey harvest season which is February is, is usually honey harvest for me and we do repairs and things like that and we also have other things that we have to deal with. And that's what I'm going to talk about now. So I, I would always say to you, if you're interested in beekeeping, go and do a course at your local beekeeping club. The local beekeeping clubs in our area certainly are awesome. They are amazing. There are people there who've been beekeeping for 30, 40 years, and I will never catch them on knowledge. I feel like I'm pretty knowledgeable, but I will never catch some of these people. Some of these people just live and breathe it. Um, I have other things that I have to do so I don't live and breathe it but I do know my basics and what you need to do with your if you're looking at beekeeping is have a calendar of the year and bees I love bees because they really are low maintenance 
particularly during certain points of the year through winter if you've got them all bunkered down and even in a snow area if you had the, the hive covered but bunkered down there's pretty much nothing you need to do those girls will look after themselves they have their own system they know what they're doing you're not managing them you are you know beekeeping is kind of a weird term because you're not a beekeeper manager like you would be a goat or a sheep or a cow but you're just overseeing and helping them and making sure they've got all the tools they need to do their job but the bees look after themselves so over the year cycle you've got certain times of the year where you know the honey nectar flow is on and the girls are out working and they're going hardcore and you just have to keep an eye on them and check them watch for disease make sure that they've got everything they need then over the summer months um you know, it gets towards you know, end of summer is when we harvest our honey here so we harvest our honey and we make sure that you know all the repairs and maintenance are done that the, the boxes are nice and solid for winter you want you want the bees to be able to have a really solid little box over winter to keep that warmth in they really need they can't handle uh, super super cold conditions hence why if you're in a snowy environment you might want to cover your hives um, but uh, then what I have got to do this year which we haven't done for three years and I feel terrible that we haven't done it but um, COVID just got in the way of everything uh, this March we are requeening all of our hives now requeening is a system where the, the queen could live I think it's up to seven years and it, you survive quite fine but they get cranky <laughs> they get old and snaky and nasty and so we've got a couple of queens out there that are a little old and a little cranky and they make for old and cranky bees um they kind of give off that vibe to the rest of the girls and you end up with bees that are just nasty and both the handy helper and i have felt the effects of that so we are requeening in march uh, we have seven hives and we are going to requeen all of them in one hit and that essentially the process of that is going through you order your, your queens in so i order from a breeder a reputable breeder because i'm not a breeder myself and they breed them up and they mate a queen with a drone of particular heritage so in our case we usually get italian queens because we find that the italians are the lovers and they're gentle and they're nice so we get our italian queens in and we have to they come in a little cage that has like a sugar plug so it takes them about two days to get out of that sugar plug cage and they have a couple of little attendant bees with them who look after them keep them clean and fed and what you do is you slide that little box into the hive but before you do that you have to go through the hive and find the old queen and this is the bit that freaks people out you find the old queen and you get it between your finger and your thumb and your squisher and killer and everybody freaks out when I tell them that. They, what? Why would you kill the queen? Why are you doing that? You know, that queen is old. She's had her time. It's a livestock issue, folks. It's, I don't hate bees. I love bees. That's why I have them. But genetically, she's old. She's cranky. It's time for her to go. She's had her time. And the kindest way you can do it, because otherwise she's just going to get stung by another bee, because that's what they do. The queens don't lose their stingers. They just fight to the death. And I really don't want my $35, $40 brand new queen bee getting killed by the old queen. I want the new one to go in there and start doing her breeding thing. So you go in, you find the old queen, you squish her. She's gone. You put the new one in in her cage the bees that are in the hive will adjust to that queen they will smell her pheromones 
uh, her attendants will keep her clean they will start chewing the, the sugar plug out so that she can come out in probably 48 hours and in that 48 hour period she is letting off all of her pheromones to the hive and the hive will accept her as the new queen because they can't smell or see the old queen so to them the queen is dead long live the queen and that's who they take they they will support the new queen once that new queen gets in there and starts laying you will notice a remarkable difference in the behavior of the hive if you've had a nasty hive and we've got two nasty hives at the moment that every time the handy helper and i go out there we get a hit um when we requeen they calm right down they become so so um super calm you can go and sit next to the hive there's no pinging there's no pinging is what we call it when they hit you in the back of the head to try and make you go away from the hive there's no pinging there's no chasing you there's no um kamikaze bees they they will hover around and they just are so super calm about it they just don't care that you're there and that's what you want you don't want a nasty beehive um I, I want bees that you know the kids and animals can walk past without any problem that i can go and handle without any problem um and that's that's what happens when you requeen so we're requeening in march that is when we'll do it and if you keep an eye out on the socials i will try and cover off on lots of videos for that kind of thing so that you can see how we do it um so that will so we're gonna harvest honey in february requeen in march the hives will get all locked down last checks will probably be maybe may at the latest uh, probably more likely end of april uh, because the weather starts to get a bit too cold i don't like opening the hives in the really cold weather here so unless we have a really sunny day i don't bother opening and then i lock them down pretty much until september um, and don't go back into the hives again till september and that's some some beekeepers will say no you should be going in and checking but my girls have always managed and i really don't they you can tell you that they don't like the hive being open when it's so cold outside so if you had a really sunny day in august you could probably get in there early but that would be about it now the other thing is while i'm in there doing all that kind of stuff the main thing i have to check for at the moment uh, obviously there's a whole bunch of diseases that we check for and hive beetle and stuff like that but i have to do all my varroa washes um and we're supposed to i forget the time frame we're supposed to be doing our varroa washes on but i know i'm overdue for my next ones so that's the next thing on my list is to go in and do varroa washes and i'll do varroa washes before i lock down at winter as well uh, just so that we know that we don't have that nasty thing hanging around here um, so that's it for my bees on the calendar that's that's what I've got so then uh, basically for three or four months over the winter period I just check them I go out and talk to them I go out and tell my bees everything that's happening on the farm because it's an I'm sure it's an old wives tale but you're supposed to tell the bees what's happening on the farm so I tell them uh, but other than that I leave the girls alone to do their job so the last thing on my calendar which is the thing that i'm the worst at is my seasonal crop rotation and planting calendars and i have to be honest i am terrible at drawing these up the easiest thing for me to do is to get a copy of a good calendar and in front of my desk right now where i sit i have a diggers club that's in australia is a diggers club calendar and it is titled when to grow in the cool zone because we're in the cool zone <laughs> And it goes through and it lists when you should grow what, depending on you know, your climate. You can buy those charts for whatever region you're in. So if you're in tropical Australia, 
yours will look very very different to mine mine is very very um through the winter months i think through looking at it through june and july there's like maybe eight things you can grow and the rest of it is all summer month only but the other thing and i'm gonna sorry i'm gonna yawn for a sec try to suck down this tea to keep my throat lubed up because it is still a bit raspy and i'm drinking some lovely green tea that i got from t2 which is very florally but it's making my throat feel really really good um so in the us my recommendation is johnny seeds i went online they've got this really cool calendar um, where you can go in it's like a digital calendar that you can put in when you have your last frost when you have your first frost and it tells you your planting guide you can just tell it what kind of plants you want to grow and it gives you a planting guide oh my god I wish I could make it work for Australia every time I went in there and tried to put in our last and first frost dates I think it was getting confused because I've got southern hemisphere dates not northern hemisphere dates and so and also too you guys do you calendar dates around the other way so you do month and then day and then year we do day month year and so I kept putting it in wrong I'm sure but I might have, go and have another go at it because it looked like a really good little calendar on that Johnny Seeds page it was on their web page um, but the kinds of things that you want to be looking at there's kind of three things that you want to be looking at with your planning guides for um, your main you know crop growing season and that is um your bed plan so where you're going to grow what and that's something that you can plan for before you do to grow so um and oh, i've probably got to ask about but just so take into account that it will depend on your climate so just touching briefly on the fact that we for us here we get a frost our frost start early march and they go through to late october so up until late October, I can't really go gung-ho in the garden because if I go gung-ho in the garden, things will get frostbit and then I will lose them. So I can grow undercover so I can start seedlings undercover or in a greenhouse and then move them out once we get past that late October period. But if you're a lucky duck and you live somewhere who's really warm and sunny and not got frost, then go to town, grow whatever you like whenever. But so the three things that I kind of look at is a, a bed plan so what i'm going to grow in which bed yeah that year and the reason that i do that is because i crop rotate so not growing the same crop in the same bed each year is really good for the soil you will drain the soil and cause all kinds of problems with the soil if you just keep growing the same exact same thing in the same bed i'm no good at planning these kinds of things out there are way too many better resources online uh, but um uh, if you if you key in crop rotation plan there's a million of them um the uh, self-sustainable me who i follow online who is he's awesome but he's a north australian uh, grower so he has lovely warm climate uh, but also to uh, milkwood who are southern climate australia so if you're in a cold climate look up milkwood they will have a crop rotation plan uh, on their website um, because they have some awesome free resources. Um, and I tend to follow ones like that because they're very permaculture based and they're cold climate. Whereas self-sufficient me, I love him dearly, but he's North Australia and he's very warm climate. Uh, so your bed plan, your crop rotation plan. So which ones you're going to grow after the other plant in which bed. And then the other one that's something I've never been able to successfully manage, but I'm going to try this year, 
is succession planting so crop succession planting so that that talks towards you know planning for you've got crops in you know this week and then so many weeks time you're going to be planting more of the same crops so that your harvest period is continual so you you don't have a glut of harvest and then nothing for ages what you want to do is try and plan it so that you know every six weeks or so depending on what the harvest period is for that particular crop but just say for corn you might grow plant some corn and then four weeks to six weeks later you might plant some more corn and then four to six week, weeks later plant some more corn so that you continually have that yield where it sustains a yield over a longer period of time and you have harvest continually instead of just having this big bulk harvest at the end and that's what I'm going to try and aim for this year. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We'll see how we go. But at this stage, what I'm looking at is a spring planting uh, undercover in September. Uh, this is on my calendar. Uh, undercover in September. Then a second planting around early November. And then a third planting around January. Now, the, the planting around January, uh, because we by January we are absolutely stinking hot and boiling hot. You wouldn't know it today, but you're normally stinking hot. Um, then it would be undercover, not because they need to be undercover for the frost, but more because they need to be undercover to stop them from cooking. So um, I'm going to trial that this year. I've got it on my calendar. Let's see how we go. I'll try and tell you how we go. Uh, but the idea is, yeah, to spread out the harvest period so that we're not got a big lump or a big glut of harvest. And instead we have a lovely kind of spaced out harvest coming in. Now, the only other thing that I wanted to talk about as far as you know, doing up your calendar for planting and stuff like that is, and I did mention it last week, um, Inigo Jones, which is I-N-I-G-O Jones, long-term weather forecaster. Um, that's not his actual name. He, Inigo Jones has long since passed. He was an old weather forecaster, but this is a student of his who took over his business um, when Inigo stopped working or stopped you know um doing as much and his student took over the business and he still has continued on the the business now he is i said last week he's a little woo woo some people don't like him the funny bit is i have heard on podcasts people that i would classify as cow cockies you know your typical rancher types who would be so not woo woo with anything else in their life and I have heard them say, I don't care that he's woo-woo, he's correct. He's fucking right all the time. I, I fucking love him. I, I look and I can tell when it's going to rain and when it's going to be dry and when I need to feed up and when I need to do extra. He, he is spot on. Now, I don't pay for his service. I only follow him on the free services. But a lot of the bigger farms in Australia pay to have their weather charts done by him so that they know when they're having... A particularly wet summer or a particularly wet winter or dry vice versa um, but he still puts out a lot of really good free resources if you're interested in that type of thing it's just good for planning purposes knowing you know like well here we go planning purpose so i've been following him for a few years uh, we had some money set aside to put a new water tank in and then i saw him posting some stuff saying don't forget 2023 is going to be the wettest year we're going to have the wettest summer for a very very long time this was in probably october 22 i saw this avatar that he'd put out this thing saying we're gonna have this super super wet summer 
and so I spoke to the handy helper and said look we put the money aside there for the tank I think we need to put the tank in now so the tank was put in on the 5th of January it's now the 31st of December and the 110,000 litre tank we put in is just about full and and we've been using it regularly and it's still just about full so following him was the best thing I could have done in that respect because it meant that we have not had to purchase a single drop of water this year we have been completely covered for water off grid um, and and yeah we had to have the money to have the tank but I had the money for the tank and I wasn't sure about buying it and that pushed me over the edge to go nah now's the time to buy it because I want it full I want to I want to collect as much rainwater as possible so that's it for me for this week my voice held out and I haven't even coughed I'm yay cheering I'm gonna kick this asthma it's gonna take a while but I'll kick it eventually um I've got to go despite my carnivore diet I'm sucking on honey as well to try and really really kind of soothe the, the throat I'm, I think I'm gonna make up some honey and garlic if anybody's got any really good honey and garlic um tincture I think that's how you say it, tincture recipes where you soak the garlic bulbs in honey and then you drink the the you know liquid off it if anybody's got a really good recipe for that that's supposed to be good for you know throats let me know um, because the other alternative is something i trialed through covid which people thought i was crazy which is collodial silver um, i was taking collodial silver in a little glass of water each morning uh, and i managed to not get covid for two years so you know i don't i'm not saying it was a collodial silver but I'm hoping it had something to do with it because it tasted like shit. So drinking it was a real, uh. Anyway, that's it for me this week. Um, next week, I think we're discussing other things to do with animals like shearing and stuff like that. Uh, hoof trimming. Uh, one of my most dreaded chores, hoof trimming. Uh, we'll discuss it next week. Uh, but otherwise, uh, you have an awesome January. I hope your 2024 is going really well already. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya. See ya.